The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tong. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation and I am your host, Peter Tong. Today's show, we have a marvelous example of conscious co-creation to actually manifest something in the world which now exists in physical as well as metaphysical form. And I'm delighted to welcome Joey Taylor, who is the inspiration behind this manifestation, to tell us all about this particular project, the six-string nation guitar. Joey, welcome to the show. Thank you. That's, that's I think, a suitably mysterious uh, introduction. Lots of room there. <laughs> there is lots of room, and there's lots, lots for us to discuss. So for those people that aren't familiar with uh, the six-string nation guitar, um, perhaps give us a little bit of uh, an overview first and how, how this came about in the first place. Well, um, how it came about is sort of a, a many-pronged story, and I, I don't want to take up your entire time with, with the background, so I'll, I'll distill it for you a little bit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm here in Canada, and um, uh, as people may know, uh, Canadians have kind of a, um, a bit of a, an identity problem in many ways, at least in, in most parts of English-speaking Canada. Um, there are pockets of the country that are very, very... Uh, really know who they are, uh, particularly Quebecers and Newfoundlanders. But, you know, the rest of the country kind of struggles um, and usually identifies themselves simply as not American. Um, and a kind of a, they vaguely celebrate diversity, but without really, um, you know, understanding how that means or how, how it works in their daily life. So this sort of came to a crisis point in 1995 when there was to be a referendum in the province of Quebec on the issue of sovereignty for that province, whether or not they would stay within Canada or start off their own country. And the vote actually came down to a very, very close one. Um, and the, uh, the no side, uh, that side that chose to remain within Canada, won by the slimmest of margins. And I really felt at that time that it was a missed opportunity to talk about who we were. We aren't very good at it in this country, and uh, we, we rely too heavily on a handful of kind of cartoonish symbols like beavers and mounties and loons and donuts and hockey and beer and all that kind of stuff, which are all fine, but they don't really say a lot about who we are. So my goal was to create a new symbol that would be more open, that would tell more stories, that would include more people, more perspectives, um, and to do so through a powerful and simple medium. I was inspired by a meeting with a luthier named 
George Rosani, who was committed to using Canadian woods when he made guitars, and I asked him if he thought he could make a guitar using pieces of material from every province and territory of Canada, and he said he'd love to give that a try. So uh, that was how it started. What unfolded over the next 11 years was a real struggle to uh, not only find the materials, but find support for forging ahead with the project. Um, and by hook or by crook, what we ended up with on Canada Day 2006 was a beautiful uh, acoustic guitar made from 64 different pieces of heritage from every part of Canada, each one telling a story, um, and it has been traveling ever since. So tell us how you felt on that day, uh, Canada Day, when when the guitar was, was first played, I guess, publicly in a, or its debut performance having spent this amount of time and no doubt some money as well uh, in bringing all this together for that moment. How did you feel at that point? Well, it was an amazing experience, I have to tell you, because, um, <clears throat> you know, here's this thing that all kinds of people told you was impossible and either shouldn't or couldn't be done. Uh, and you've been promised all kinds of things that haven't come through, and, uh, you know, you've been on the brink many, many times, and there you are, and there's 80,000 people out there on the lawn of Parliament Hill. And there's Stephen Fearing, one of Canada's great songwriters, holding your guitar. And he's playing the song that you dreamed for 11 years would be the first song played on it, a song called The Longest Road. And if your listeners haven't heard it, I highly recommend they look it up. Um, and part of me felt this enormous sense of relief and pride and... Uh, it was very, very emotional. But a part of me uh, knew that this was just the beginning of the journey. That, that you know, having completed the guitar wasn't the project. Um, creating a symbol for a country was the project. And it, it can't be a symbol unless people agree that it's a symbol. <laughs> you can't just sort of declare um, if people don't accept it. So I, I realized that, at, you know, from that moment on, uh, my my task, my mission was to get this guitar in, in front of as many people into as many hands as possible and into classrooms and um, so that everyone could experience it in their own way. So one of, one of the, the key elements of, of the guitar, I, I realize, is that it's for people to play and to handle and, and to be, it's not to be in a showcase or for some <clears throat> well-known person to play, it's for everybody. That's right. I mean, you know, I, I'm delighted when well-known people play it, and, and it's, it's certainly, you know, it's been on television and concert stages and radio and all kinds of things and recordings. Um, but it's just as important to me that, that um, you know, when you go to a school, that you, you put it in the hands of that kid who's, you know, who, whose colleagues, whose fellow students have said, we want you to play the guitar, you know, and, and, um, and then it becomes part of the... The, the history of the project and becomes part of the fabric of the school and um, it's it's really exciting for me to watch and, and a source of huge pride um, just as much as seeing it in the hands of uh, well-known artists. So let's come, let's come back to the the, uh, the the current situation shortly, but let's talk a bit further about the actual construction of the guitar. So there, guitar, sorry, there are 64 different artifacts that make it up. How, how did you come to choose them? How did they come about? What, what, how did you know what to include and not include? Well, it was very much a natural process. Um, <clears throat> you know, there were some pieces that I deliberately went after because I knew they would be sort of touchstone 
pieces. So you wanted, I call those pieces the anchors in the mall. You know, if it's the the, the J.C. Penney, the Sears, whatever <laughs> that, that, <laughs> right. that makes the other pieces possible. And and I, I went after those quite deliberately. Others um, I discovered through research, um, wanting to make sure that certain parts of the country or certain communities didn't get overlooked, who usually do get overlooked. Um, I also did a lot of open-line radio shows um, in different parts of uh, Canada um, through the CBC and through some private broadcasters as well, just sort of appealing for stories. Um, and we got some leads from that process, some of which we followed, some of which we didn't. Um, and then we just stumbled upon some things. Uh, literally, we had begun the process of building the guitar in April of uh, 2006 when somebody who was working on the film crew that was documenting it asked me if I'd heard of John Ware, who was... Um, I was born into slavery in the Carolinas in 1845. Um, when Lincoln signed the Emancipation Act, he moved to Texas, where he learned uh, the, the horse business and the cattle business. From there, he moved to um, Montana, and from there to Idaho. And from Idaho, he joined a cattle drive to Alberta, where he fell in love with the Red Deer River area, settled along there, built a cabin, raised a family, and became a very successful entrepreneur and a very popular member of the community. Uh, died in 1905, just 12 days after Alberta became a province of Canada. Um, and that was a story that not only I didn't know, but that most Canadians don't know. And yet it's an important part of black history um, that tends to get overlooked. So it came in, the, the pieces that, that ended up in the guitar came through a variety of channels. What ultimately set the cutoff was the luthier, George. Uh, Rosani, who said to me, well, look, I need everything. It's going to take me six weeks to build this guitar. Um, you want it two weeks before the debut so that we can test it. That means I have to start building it April 30th. And so at that point, we pretty much knew, okay, well, if it's not in by April 30th, it's not going in the guitar. So that was a pretty clear, pretty clear deadline. Yeah. And I, in fact, at that point, so what's happened was the, the there were 60 three of the 64 pieces that we... Well, so, in fact, we gathered 63 pieces um, by April 30th. We got that 64th after um, I was told about John Ware's cabin, so we had those. 63 went into the guitar itself. A 64th, which is the uh, shoulder tile from the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry of Edmonton, uh, went on to the strap of the guitar. Um, and since then, we've added five pieces to the case, um, in soft fabric. Um, people are always asked, you know, having suggestions of things we can add to the guitar. And I always oh, sure you do. <laughs> I have to say, well, no, that's a finished work of art. But, but the case does present us with some opportunities, so we, we've added some uh, fabric pieces of history. So, so what's really critical about this is that every single piece, that 64 original pieces, um, tell their own historical story. Right. So just give us one example of, a, of, a, of an area of Canada that could have been left out and forgotten that you found a, an appropriate artifact to include. Well, in fact, one of my favorite stories in the guitar is the story of uh, Joe Bob's oyster knife. Now, Joe Bob was a bit of a local hero um, in the Lennox Island First Nation of Prince Edward Island. Now, this, I mean, Prince Edward Island, you're already, already talking about a very tiny part of Canada, and then within that, a very tiny community within a tiny First Nations population. Um, and Joe was, was a local hero for one thing, for having plucked his wife um, from the frozen waters when she went through uh, the ice um, when she was eight months pregnant. 
she was it was winter time and or springtime I guess and she was they they hadn't yet built a causeway and you know he he saved her life and saved his child's life um, but he was also a local hero because he was uh, the Canadian uh, champion oyster shucker uh, oysters are a big big part of life down there in the Tyne Valley area and it's the home of the Canadian championships every year. And uh, he he ended up, although he wasn't interested in oyster shucking to begin with, Genevieve, his wife, convinced him, and he got into it, and he proved to be very good at it. He ended up going to Ireland, where he competed internationally and came in second. Um, and it's one of those stories that there's, outside of Tyne Valley, there's no reason to tell it. Um, you know, it doesn't make the history books. It's not a big deal to be a champion oyster shucker. <laughs> but here's this wonderful family in this wonderful community. Um, I've met the family, and it's a big family, and they are exceptional people, really. I mean, the, the, you know, the kids are Taekwondo champions and beauty queens and politicians and you name it. I mean, there's all kinds of successful people in that family, and uh, I wanted to reflect that story. That's beautiful. Thank you, Joey. We're just about to go to our first break, and so uh, what I do want you to do when we come back, is to talk about the golden spruce of Heidegwai, a very yep. important story and part of the guitar. So this is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Joey Taylor. Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness, which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tung left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm, the awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit petertongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at petertongue.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. What's it like? What's it like? It's lonely. It's really lonely. I miss my brother. I miss my brother. I'm surrounded by other people, but it's not the same. I've got other people around me, but it's not the same. 
It's pretty scary, but I don't let it rattle me. It's pretty me. scary, Ryan, but I don't let it rattle me. You always have to watch your back. There's no one to watch my back. I spend my whole day worried who's out to I'm get me. I'm always wondering who's out to get me. But I can take care of myself. But I can take care of myself. No matter what, I'll keep my head up. No matter what, I'll keep my head up. It's not like I have a choice. It's not like I have a choice. This'll all be over in five years, three months, and 17 days. This'll all be over in five years, three months, and 17 days. Go to jail for a gun crime and your family serves a sentence with you. Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Hello and welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tong. Today I'm talking with Joey Taylor about the six-string nation guitar. And Joey, I'd love you to tell us in some detail about the story of the Golden Spruce and how you got involved in that uh, in building the guitar. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible story, and and I think uh, you know when I go around uh, giving presentations, uh, I think most people. I uh, think that I've I've hit the highlight when I talk about Maurice Richard Stanley Cup Ring or Pierre Trudeau's Paddle, Canoe Paddle or something, and then I get to the Golden Spruce story, and um, that just blows people away, and it blows me away every time I talk about it. I cannot talk about this without getting a little bit emotional, so take that as a bit of a heads up. <laughs> um, this was a a very rare tree in uh, the territory known as Haida Gwaii or the Queen Charlotte Islands uh, off the west coast of mainland British Columbia. And um, this tree shouldn't really have survived. It was a Sitka spruce tree, but it had a mutation whereby it had no chlorophyll in its needles. Now that should mean that that tree would would burn up internally because it couldn't keep cool and it would have trouble breathing. Um, but this tree survived because it was protected by a bunch of different things. It was it was certainly protected by the tourist industry, who depended on it to attract people to the region. Um, it was protected by the uh, scientific community, who uh, had people from all over the world studying this tree. Uh, it was certainly protected by the, the Haida people, for whom this was a sacred tree, and it was said to contain the spirit of one of their ancestors. Um, it was also protected by the Macmillan Blodell Paper Company. Um, they actually had the logging rights to this area, but they understood that this was an important tree to the community, and they, um, as a gesture of good citizenship, they made sure that they didn't uh, come anywhere near it. Um, and they, they kept a nice, respectful perimeter around it. problem was that there was a guy who worked for them as a logging scout, um, his job was to go into the forest, sometimes for weeks at a time, by himself, 
um, and uh, you know calculate uh, yields and figure out where to put in roads and uh, where to begin the next clear cut. And whether he had some kind of crisis of conscience or whether he just went a little bit forced crazy or what, um, he decided that it was hypocritical of the company that they would preserve this one tree while they cut so many elsewhere in the province. And so as a, as a gesture to kind of expose their hypocrisy, he took a kayak from the mainland at Prince Rupert on a, one night in January of 1997, and he paddled across a pretty dangerous stretch of water called the Hecate Strait, and uh, down the top of the island through uh, what is known as the Yakun River, even though it's actually an inlet. And uh, there, near Port Clements, he um, pulled the kayak up on shore, and he um, took a chainsaw out of the kayak, and in the middle of the night, he cut this tree down. And certainly for the the height of people that I met, um, you know, they considered that a drive-by shooting. Um, for no reason at all, somebody came into their community in the cover of night and cut down this tree. It actually took three days to fall. And the Haida decided at that moment that they would never uh, cut into that tree. They would, they would just let it return to the earth in spirit and in substance. And it remained that way on the ground for nine years. Um, I happened to meet Dr. David Suzuki, whom you might know, um, in uh, 2004. And we had been corresponding a little bit about my project, and, and we met in person for the first time. And, and he, he said, well, I'm amazed to meet you because I've actually been thinking about you lately. And I, I was thinking about your project, and I have an idea for you. Have you heard of the Golden Spruce? And he told me the story that I just told you, and uh, he said, I think we can get a piece for your guitar. So he introduced me to some people in the community, um, Gu Zhao, who's the president of the Council of Haida Nations, and uh, David Phillips, who is a guy who owns a bed and breakfast uh, in, old Ma in Masset, and who's a bit of a community connector, and, uh, and several other people in the community. and, and you know, I sometimes say that we began a dialogue. It wasn't really so much that we began a dialogue. It was more that a dialogue began in the community to determine whether or not this would be a good thing to do to break their own promise to themselves about what would become of this tree and whether or not they should allow someone to cut it for this project. And after about 18 months, there was a general agreement, enough that they suggested that I come out. So... Um, you know, I didn't have any funding for this project, so I <laughs> I put a bunch of airline tickets on my credit cards and uh, took a big breath and uh, and went out to Haida Gwaii um, with a cameraman and um, photographer, and I took the luthier with me and uh, a couple other people. And um, we spent a lot of time the first couple of days just talking to folks in the community at the coffee shop and the barber shop and. Uh, people who came by the guest house, and, and we just, you know, we we tried to reassure everyone that our motives were genuine and and that uh, we were, wanted to do this with the utmost respect. Leo Gagnon was a, a Haida carver who had come forward as a guy willing to do the cut only if a, an elder was present. Uh, and as he explained to me, 
part of the problem was that uh, most of their elders were too old. Uh, it's a bit of a hike into the forest there, and you have to cross the river and all that. Anyway, on the morning of February the 22nd, um, I got a call from Leo saying, well, Frank Collison has agreed to join us, um, an elder in the community, and uh, together we all piled into a couple cars and went down towards Port Clements and um, made the hike into the forest and crossed the Yakun, and um, there we found this extraordinary tree. Now, a tree that's been on the ground for nine years in rainforest, essentially, uh, you wouldn't expect to be in all that good shape. But when it had fallen, um, some of the upper branches sort of snapped off and acted as legs. So they kind of kept it off the ground. They kind of kept a lot of the moisture out of it. Um, and Leo kind of quite extraordinarily, he just almost by divination, he, he found a spot about two-thirds of the way up the tree, and he cut this wedge out, and uh, it was the only, you know, it was the, the only time a, a piece like that had ever been taken from this tree. And um, um, that became the top of the guitar, or at least the piece that we took from that wedge became the top of the guitar. Um, so the entire face of the guitar, really, what you see, the main part of what you see on the front of the guitar is the golden spruce, which astounds me every time I look at it. Um, the depth of that gift from that community, um, I, I really can't get over. So is, is, is spruce uh, traditionally used uh, as a guitar uh, piece of wood? Funny you should mention, uh, um, somebody did an interview with me a little while ago, and, and I just saw his uh, post on a on a sort of a guitar maker's forum, and he's actually talking about Sitka spruce because Sitka spruce turns out to be a pretty much ideal wood for um, a guitar top. Um, when you build a guitar, what you want is... Um, see, the way it works is, is you've got the... You, you, you strum the strings, and some of the sound energy goes uh, through the bridge to the bridge plate that sort of matches the bridge on the inside of the guitar and resonates inside. And then some of it just sort of bounces off uh, some of that vibration bounces off the back of the guitar and then gets forced back out through the sound hole through a complex arrangement of doodads within the guitar um, that uh, the luthier can tell you more about than I can. But um, those, those are the sort of the key components. And, and in fact, we don't have the ideal wood for the back of the guitar. What we have there is Louis Riel's schoolhouse, uh, which is now the St. Boniface Museum. Um, and it's spalted oak, uh, which means it's very porous. And that means that's going to absorb a lot of that sound energy uh, more than you might like. Um, however, when the sound comes back out through the sound hole um, and through the bridge plate, what you get is tremendous uh, character, warmth, uh, softness, even tone that's um, imbued by this particular wood. And it's, it makes the guitar, although a bit quiet, um, really an extraordinarily warm and beautiful sounding guitar. Once you plug it in, that's <laughs> the uh, the quiet part goes away. Um, <laughs> but it, it really is pretty much ideal, and um, and I think for the people who play it, who have heard the story of the Golden Spruce, um, that makes a profound and spiritual connection with with everybody who who encounters the guitar in that way. So, what happened to the to the guy who cut it down? Well, he disappeared. Um, he he. He wrote to the papers the following day and said, here's what I did. You'll find your tree uh, on the ground, and this is why. And uh, he expected to be treated as a hero. And 
and uh, he was a bit surprised that he wasn't. Um, he was um, arrested and uh, allowed to make his own way to the court date, and then went missing. Through misfortune or misadventure, bad weather, or he ditched, nobody knows. They found his stuff two weeks later on the coast of Alaska. Wow, well, that's a mystery in itself. Oh, yeah, ongoing. Joey, that's quite, quite a story, and, and I'm sure there is more to come from that. <laughs> and we're going to our second break now, so this is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with my guest, Joey Taylor. to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh. Anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See? There you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Spiritual Workout with host Stephen Morrison helps you go beyond the books, CDs, and the workshops you've gone to to learn spirituality. Stephen will passionately help you see which of 15 universally spiritual concepts apply to your circumstance and how. Now there's a way to help you live it every single day. Work out every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Spiritual Workout with your host, Stephen Morrison, on 7th Wave Network. A practical path to a happier, more peaceful, and richer life experience. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness, which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tung left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm, the awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit petertongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at petertongue.com. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network.
listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Hello and welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tung. Today I'm talking with Joey Taylor about the six-string nation guitar. Joey, the uh, the guitar has been called the Voyager. How did that come about? Well, it was interesting. We um, uh, the first year that we uh, so we made the debut on on Canada Day on Parliament Hill in Ottawa, and and on that very first day, and whenever we can, uh, certainly at all of our festival appearances, but but at many of our school appearances and uh, conferences and things like that. Um, we try to have my photographer there, and we have a little portrait set up, and and we people sign up and they get their portrait taken, and, and it's free. We um, we've now taken about fifty thousand portraits of about eight thousand different people from coast to coast to coast in every province and territory of Canada, and we send those pictures out by email after the event, and it's a really it's a pretty remarkable. Um, you know, portrait of the country. Just and I just I'm in love with all of these faces, every single one of them. You know, it's it's just fantastic. And my photographer Doug is is brilliant and all that. Anyway, as part of the um, the sign-in process, we had these. The first year we did it with paper. Now we do it electronically. But uh, we had we had these sheets of paper and and we we had two little surveys, and one of them was you know what what Canadian artist would you most like to see play this guitar. And, uh, you know, a lot of people put in the, the usual names, but we wanted to use it partly as a process of discovery and finding new people that we could uh, introduce to the project and introduce to the to listeners. Um, and then the second question was, you know, Willie Nelson's got Trigger, um, and uh, we'd like a snappy nickname for this guitar, too, and, uh, you know, like B.B. King's Lucille and all that kind of stuff. So what would your suggestion be? And, you know, frankly, most people, um, uh, I mean, the most popular names, I think, were Unity or Canada or Kanata or things like that. And, and they, were, they, were, they were very hopeful names, and they were very, um, um, uh, what's the word? They, 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 were, they were definitely seeking a kind of promise. No, um, but then Lieutenant Colonel Susan Bahariel of the Canadian Armed Forces wrote in her uh, suggestion Voyager, and I thought that was such a great name because um, a it captured the English, the French, and the Aboriginal character of the country. The voyageurs were these uh, quite often Métis, quite often um, English, mostly French in the beginning. Uh, traders who kind of functioned as almost like uh, mercenary uh, trappers and stuff, and um, who really opened up the the land and, and adopted so many of the Aboriginal techniques for canoeing and clothing and all that kind of stuff. And so, a it hearkened to that kind of adventurous past, but also, you know, the Voyageur is the name of the, the. There are two satellites still sending information back from deep space called Voyager, uh, or Voyager anyway. Um, and it's got, you know, there's the Star Trek uh, thing, and it's got that sort of very forward-looking, very um, almost futuristic, um, hopeful, 
uh, trek into the future uh, kind of feeling about them. So we thought that was the perfect name. And it just so happened that the Festival de Voyageur, which is an annual festival in Winnipeg in February, if you can believe that, um, uh, wanted us there th- that February uh, as part of the festival. So we thought, well, that's a perfect opportunity to unveil the name at a festival called Voyageur. And that's how that happened. And, they, and we brought, uh, Air Canada brought um, uh, Susan Beharial out to, to the festival, and she was treated uh, like royalty by the festival, and uh, she really enjoyed herself, too. So it was a wonderful, oh, wonderful experience. Great. So you must have some uh, favorite stories about some of the pieces that you collected, and obviously we don't have too much time, but just give us, uh, give us a couple of your favorite stories about the pieces that make up the guitar. Well, it's it's so hard to say. I mean, you know, each each one has a terrific little story behind it. I, I you can't help but marvel at this tiny fragment of gold in the middle of the ninth fret, uh, set in a, a, a background of blue labradorite and and framed by moose antler from Pick River First Nation on Lake Superior. <laughs> but that little dot of gold is from Maurice Richard's 1955-56 Stanley Cup ring before the NHL issued Stanley Cup rings. So this was actually one commissioned by the family um, for Richard and the whole team. And uh, it really began the tradition of the Stanley Cup ring um, following 1956. So that's a, you know, I just happened upon that because a friend of mine bought that ring at auction and uh, was dumb enough to let me uh, cut a piece of gold <laughs> off of it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, it's a terrific story and, and, you know, everybody wants to touch that. Um, for some reason, a large number of women want to touch Pierre Trudeau's canoe paddle, which is just inside the top of the sound hole. Um, but what I really find extraordinary um, is that no matter where I go, um, there will be somebody who will come up, and they will have some connection to some piece in the guitar. And it's not always the one you'd think. I mean, I might be in Yellowknife, uh, Northwest Territories, but someone will come up and say, my dad worked in the Sydney Steel mine in Cape Breton, and uh, there's a little piece of Sydney Steel uh, up around the 15th fret. You know, and that kind of thing, you you realize that the power of this thing to connect to people and to connect people to one another, um, regardless of background, regardless of uh, geography, um, is really quite extraordinary. And one time... Uh, a young woman came up to me at a festival in Guelph, Ontario, and she said, uh, almost apologetically, is there anything from Prince Edward Island in that guitar? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, there's, it's, in fact, there's five pieces, and it's, it, it occupies more real estate per capita than anywhere else in the country, and, and in fact, you, it's one of the only places where you can see all of them. And uh, I pointed them all out to her, and she just started crying, and, and she said, I didn't think we'd be represented. Oh, wow. Well. And you just thought it was so simple to represent this place and these people with a few simple scraps of wood from you know, a cabin built by the Doucettes and, and a bar that was torn down where Stompin' Tom had got his start and all that kind of stuff. You know, and these, these all tell stories, and, and you realize that people want their story told. They want to be recognized. And, and it doesn't need to be some huge fanfare. It's just... The simple act of recognition, and that to me is the, the great, great power of this thing, is that everybody finds something that connects to their story. I actually had that experience last night at my meditation group, which I, I lead on a Monday evening. We were just talking about uh, today's show, 
And um, after the meditation, one of the women talked about the fact that her parents had emigrated into Canada to the port terminal building in Halifax, Nova, Co- Nova Scotia to Pier 21. Pier, Pier 21. And there's yeah. a piece of, of rafter, is there not, from Pier 21? Yeah. Exactly. See, there you go. It's, uh, I, it never fails. It's quite amazing. Quite amazing. <laughs> and you must have some interesting experiences going up to the, the frozen north of Canada. I think a lot of people think the whole of Canada is frozen north. Right. We're basking in sunshine on the west coast today, but, but you had some experiences, I'm sure, in the, in the far north of Canada. Well, yeah, and that's, you know, it's one of the great tragedies, really, is that, um, you know, it's an amazing part of, of this country, um, and so few of us ever, ever go there. Um, and, of course, it's far, far cheaper to fly to Cuba than it is to fly to Iqaluit. Um, uh, but so we've managed to go to, uh, to Dawson City and to Yellowknife and to, uh, um, to Iqaluit and to Natwashish, Labrador, which was quite an amazing experience because uh, there you're on this little twin otter milk run up the coast of Labrador to this Innu community um, uh, that's inland and uh, it just so happened, this was in November, and uh, we got snowed in. So I actually spent uh, three days hanging around Natwashish uh, with the students at this school who, um, you know, it, it's a very interesting community. They have so much there in some ways and so little in others. I mean, they all get um, royalty money from the Voices Bay um, oil royalties, but they, it, they have no connection to their own heritage, their own uh, community, their own way of life. And so they have all the toys they want, but... Uh, they have very little in terms of connection, and so I was, you know, trying to make the guitar uh, be a kind of a connection for them. And although I wasn't sure I had succeeded, by the end of it, um, these kids that I had kind of thought didn't like me were coming up to me in, in, at a festival in, in Goose Bay, and they said, "Hey, can we hang out with you? <laughs> that's a that's a really cool guitar you got there." <laughs> oh, nice. And yeah. you know, it's a pretty great experience. Yeah. And you've got some four-billion-year-old rock in there somewhere as well, haven't you? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny about that. This is a, a piece of stone that was hailed as the oldest rock in the world at 3.96 billion years uh, from Great Bear Lake, Northwest Territories. It's called a castiganase. It's part of the territorial scepter up there, so it's a bit of a big deal. Um, soon after the guitar debuted, I got a, uh, an email from uh, Labrador saying, uh, excuse me, but uh, they've just, uh, you've said that it's the oldest rock in the world in your guitar there, but we've just uh, dated a rock at uh, 4.03 billion years old. And, and I thought, oh boy, uh, here we go. <laughs> um, and then that the following September, there came a claim from Quebec with a rock at 4.12 or 16 billion years old. And I thought, well, at least they're all Canadian. And now there's a claim from Jack Hills, Australia, at 4.25. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing you can do. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's there. It's, it's resounding through, uh, through, through the uh, material of the, of the guitar. I just say it's a really, really, really old rock. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're coming up to our final break uh, with uh, Peter Tung and Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. And on our return, we'll talk about the impact on the people who've handled and played the guitar. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. 
Experience higher love, an archangelic journey into ascended joy and authentic living. Your hosts, Sri Ram Ka and Kira Ra, will assist you to open your heart, expand your love, and be ever-present with true joy. Your journey with Sri and Kira begins right here on the 7th Wave Network with Higher Love, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tung left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm, the awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit petertongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at petertongue.com. When you have a stroke, you may not even notice it right away. But then, time passes, and the symptoms get worse. One minute you feel fine, and the next, your speech could be slurred or not make sense. One side of your body might become numb. You might see double. You drop the TV remote because you can't hold up your arm. That's because, after a stroke, every minute you don't get help is another minute that your brain is being starved of oxygen. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face, arm, or leg, sudden trouble seeing, speaking, or understanding. If you experience any of these warning signs, call 911 immediately, because time lost is brain lost. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Be extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Hello and welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tong. And today I have with me Joey Taylor. We're talking about the Voyageur, the six-string nation guitar. I think it might be a good idea, Joey, right at the beginning so we can continue chatting till the end of the show about stories about people's responses. But perhaps right now, because I know there's a, there's a great book that actually describes each of the pieces and where they are in the, on the guitar, and obviously you've got a, a website. So perhaps we should do that off the bat now, and you could uh, let, let our listeners know how they can find out more information or how they can get involved with the project. 
Sure. Um, well, there's a few ways to do that. Um, um, mainly, if you go to sixstringnation.com, S-I-X stringnation.com, um, that's our website, and that's where my sort of regular blog is posted in the main place. But you can also link through there to, for example, our Flickr site, where you can see uh, most of the photos that we've taken of people um, since we began. So there's thousands of them there. Um, to our uh, YouTube channel, Six String Nation TV, uh, where you can see um, some beautiful vignettes that we shot with uh, some of the people who contributed materials, giving you the background of the story. Those are lovely. Um, to our uh, Facebook and Twitter pages and uh, uh, MySpace and all that kind of stuff. So all, all the ways that you can engage with the project on an ongoing basis are there. And also right in the front section there, there is a connection to, um, uh, to the book and to the coin. Now, the book is the book that I wrote, and it's published by Douglas and McIntyre, uh, and it's available through, you know, the usual suspects, uh, Chapters Indigo and Amazon and all that kind of stuff, and, and you can link there, or you can find it at your local bookseller. And then there's the coin, which is uh, has very little to do with me, um, but it's such a huge honor. It's just awesome. Um, it's a triangular-shaped, in fact, guitar-pick-shaped, I like to think, 50-cent um, piece uh, commemorating the project. It depicts the sort of sound hole and pickguard assembly of the guitar and our logo um, on a 50-cent coin uh, that comes from the Royal Canadian Mint. It's just it's amazing. Uh, now, it comes in a collector card, um, uh, so it's, it's not 50 cents. I think it's thirty four ninety five. But <laughs> but but it's, uh, you know, it's a collectible. Um, the really cool thing about this is that I was, I was just told recently that, that when it, the coin was proposed, there was a lot of naysayers within the mint. And, of course, it was released at the same time as all the Olympic stuff was going on. So I think in many ways they expected this thing to just disappear. Um, they limited the mintage to 30,000, which they, you know, they don't make them all at once. They make them sort of as they're ordered. Um, and they've, they, they launched it, I think, last April or May, and they've sold 14,000 of them. So there's 16,000 potential coins left to go, um, and they will cut that off, um, I think it's in April. So if they, if they haven't sold them uh, orders, if they don't have orders by April, well, they stop that's it. They stop making them, and it all goes into the secondary markets and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I think it's quite amazing that this little thing has um, really caught the fancy. And I think it's. I think the cool thing is it's not the people who usually buy collector coins. I think it's people who are just interested in the story and interested in music and think it's cool that there's a guitar pick shaped coin um, who uh, who are buying it. And I think that's. Uh, I would love it if the if the, the mint could really be proven uh, wrong, if, if the naysayers could be proven <laughs> wrong, it would be great. So you'll find a link to that there, too. Great. Thank you. And, and I, I, I saw a quote somewhere that someone said, um, I didn't think I'd be allowed to touch it, mm. which uh, it's, it's a beautiful story. That in fact, you are encouraged to handle it and, and even play it. So tell us a little bit about the impact that, that handling and playing the guitar has had on people. Uh, I, you know, I told you I always get emotional when I talk about the Golden Spruce uh, piece, but but I, also sharing the guitar can be a very emotional experience for me too because, um, I mean, for the most part, it's pretty simple joy. Um, uh, you know, if you if you're sharing the guitar before people know the story, um, well, then it's not that interesting. I mean, it's just a guitar. But if you've had a chance to describe 
what the, what the story is behind it and within it, um, then people approach it in this whole different way, and, and they're very respectful, and they're very uh, they they approach it in all different kinds of ways. Some with excitement, and some with awe, and some with trepidation, and and you, you get the full range. And I've I've literally had people hold it, and then you know, sh- sh- shaking, they turn to me and they they hug me and they thank me profoundly for this experience. And it's like, gee, all I did was <laughs> thrust a guitar at you, <laughs> and and all you had to do was hold it. And 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 other people, I mean, the amazing thing is when you watch, uh, you hand it to musicians, and and there's quite a distinction that happens between, um, you know, there's kind of a the smarty pants um, amateurs who kind of they take it and they they play it a bit and they they test it out uh, their best licks and whatever and and then they try and say something definitive about it and they'll say oh well yes well this guitar is best suited for uh, Django Reinhardt style uh, jazz or something you know or this is best suited for strumming or this is a good finger picking guitar or what you know whatever it is they'll make these pronouncements when you hand it to a very serious musician. That's an amazing thing to watch because they take the guitar. They don't say a word. They may just be talking with you as normal. They may, they may just be joking as regular, but, but they don't make any pronouncement about it. They take the guitar. They handle a little bit. They play it a little bit. And you watch them finding its voice. You watch them just sort of testing where it sings and where it whispers and where it shouts and... And and then you see them calculating, well, where does this fit with my music? And then they pick something. And then they, it's almost like they're they're matching their voice to its voice. It's a, I'm, I'm going to have to stop you there, unfortunately. What a, what a beautiful way to finish the show. We've actually come to the top of the hour. And oh, my goodness. It's gone by very, very quickly. So, <laughs> but that was a beautiful final comment. And I really appreciate you sharing the story with us on the show today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Peter. It's been a great pleasure. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. So next week I'm going to have my own show and I'm going to bring everybody up to date with what's happening in the world of spiritual awakening and I hope you'll join me next Wednesday. Have a great week. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.